one. God damn it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy. And today we have the one and only Angela Henderson, a.k.a. Ange Henderson, who is a badass. Actually, is it Angie or Ange? I don't really know which one you prefer. Ange, it is Ange. So yes, you're Perfect. good. Sweet. She is joining us all the way from Australia today, which is going to be a badass show. So I appreciate her being here. Real quick, before we get started, as always, please go check out our sponsor for the show. Today, it's AngelaHenderson.com.au. If you are are someone that's looking to build your business in a manner that is purposeful, credible, and more importantly, what we're going to be discovering uh, discovering and sharing on this call, uh, without burning yourself out, then this is the person for you. This is the person that's going to help you out, get out of your own way, build up a shitload of experience in the process and actually keep you moving forward because believe it or not, a lot of us kind of jump off uh, the cliff and hope our wings grow on the way, way down. Why not build the wings and then kind of glide and fly like a normal person, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, today's episode is also brought to you by GraceCopywriterLive.com. Head on over there, figure out my story selling matrix on how you can plot and plan your stories for yourself, your clients, and your business moving forward. And more importantly, do it in an authentic manner from, well, one of the greatest copywriters to walk the earth, which is lovely. Not an egotistical thing, just a thing, because I'm leaving all my knowledge on there as I would. Anyway, let's get started on the show today. Ange, you have one hell of a great story you are literally someone that's built your business over multiple years you've been a mental health clinician you've had an e-com business you've actually consulted other businesses you've worked in a bunch of other places but what i loved about your story more than anything that made me say yes to get you on the show was the fact that you help businesses build from four-figure months to five-figure months and then six-figure years, seven-figure years, and keep going in that way without burnout. And as someone that has literally, uh, and I say this for copywriters all around the world, we are the kings and queens of burnout around the world. What we tend to do is we take on multiple client projects at once. We go work through like 14 to 18-hour days, barely sleep, run on caffeine and eventually burn out, burn, burn ourselves out of the industry, or if we're lucky, hit burnout and then come back later on down the line. So my question and very first question to you is what are some of the biggest side effects of burnout? Because some people say it lasts like a week. Some people last six years because um, it's very different to each person. My question for you, what are the signs that you're heading towards it and how can you prevent it? See, so I think it's important to kind of step back a little bit and that you technically you've got stress, you know, all of us have stress. You could say, oh, I was stressed this morning preparing for this podcast because my mic wasn't working, but the stress will go. And then you've got burnout and it sticks around a little bit more. It's, it weighs a little bit more heavily on you. You're noticing it more. You, you kind of just feel a bit more weighed down. And then you go into a full-blown mental health diagnosis. And in order to have a full-blown mental health diagnosis, it has to be impacting all three areas of your life. In adults, it has to be impacting home, work and our business and community. And for kids, it has to be impacting home, community and school. And so again, if you only have one of those components, then we always go back and try and assess what's going on in that particular environment and then make some changes. And normally those symptoms will go down. So when we look at burnout though, for example, is some of the things that you can start noticing that you're on your way to burnout is motivation starts to decrease quite substantially. Um, Relationships start to fall apart. Uh, And what I mean by that is like, you're either a bit more nippy with your partner, you're a bit more nippy with your clients. There's a bit of friction there. You're also really frustrated with yourself. You can start to also see that burnout. If you're 
sleeping too much or awake too much. That's kind of like either or. It can be like kind of more like sitting on like a hypomanic type of scenario, or it could be like you're just like really hard to even get out of bed. You can also tell um, if like eating patterns also start to shift, right? So it's like you're binge eating, like kind of like emotional eating, or you're not eating at all. So there's a few variances depending on the individual. Um, finances, <coughs> excuse me, can also be impacted as in like, you could be spending a shit ton of money because you just don't care anymore, or you might not be paying your bills. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of variables that you have to start looking for when it comes to that. But what I say is you typically can just feel it. Everything feels heavy. It's harder to get out of bed. It's harder to put, get dressed. It's harder to um, show up and do your client work. Like nothing feels good anymore. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you've lost your spark forever, but there's definitely something there that you need to start unpacking because if not, then you are going to throw in the towel or go back to that nine to five that you don't want to go back to. So typically I see it stress, then to burnout. And then if you don't nip that in the ass, it's typically a full-blown diagnosis at some stage. And I mean, entrepreneurs are already prone you know, a lot of entrepreneurs have the ADHD brain. It goes a million miles an hour on any given day. Uh, you also have a high influx of drug and alcohol in the entrepreneur space. Yep. So then when you're also dealing with burnout, you typically see dual diagnoses where you'll see potentially like a mood disorder, anxiety, depression. Um, and then you'll normally see a co uh, um, co-disorder with that, which is normally, again, drug, alcohol, etc. So again, it's, uh, we are prone to it. Uh, we need to be mindful of it because it can lead to some pretty detrimental um, aspects of life. Cool. Now, I kind of wanted to touch upon this because we did have this discussion just slightly pre-show as well, and I'm really curious about it. And again, it's the idea of being prone to certain drugs. Now, I do know a lot of people actually that do use like marijuana, they do use mm -hmm. other substances as well, such as like um, microdosing on mushrooms, they microdose on LSD. Mm -hmm. Other people are more into like hardcore stuff where they do her uh, cocaine in order to actually keep themselves going. My curiosity, mm -hmm. is it like a wide spectrum where all drugs are kind of like, okay, don't do any of them? Or is it like, okay, if this actually helps you and benefits you, then do it. I mean, I'm not talking about cocaine in the slightest. Listen, I think, again, I think it all comes down, first of all, to countries, rules and regulations, right? Yes. As long as it also comes down to individual, right? Is obviously, <clears throat> if your brain's going a million miles an hour or you're in pain for something and marijuana potentially might help you, um, obviously, if it's not laced with anything, it could have a small impact on you. However, if you're a percentage of the individuals in the world where a small hit of something could actually throw you into a form of psychosis, you have to remember that once your brain goes into psychosis from a physiological perspective, your brain will never be the same it was from before. Yeah. So again, I would, it's, there's so many variables to say that it's good for one and it's not good for the other. Again, those decisions will come down to individual decisions and or consulting with doctors and or specialists around those particular things. The same thing with medication, right? Yeah. Is a doctor can, can prescribe you a certain type of medication, but nine times out of 10, it's never going to be the right medication. It either makes you feel too bad or makes you feel too good. And then you're looking at dosage. And then if you've got weight gain, you've got to keep adjusting. So Again, I, I won't confirm or deny what drugs are good and what drugs are bad. But what I will say is that based on people's physiological makeup, um, you know, for example, if you look at my family, I have a huge history of drug addicts in my family from alcohol um, to cocaine to a variety of different things. One of my uncles was found dead in a hotel room. Um, my brother, I would say, probably died heavily because of alcoholism. 
you know, if you look at just our family history from a physiological perspective, addiction is very clear on my side. You then look at my husband's side and his parents are, you know, also equally alcoholic. So when uh, mix that with my ADHD brain, um, and now you look at our children, we've got to be able to be conscious of what do we do we mimic for our children because we too could actually um, enhance our, and or hurt them do you mean uh, later on in life. So again, each family makeup is so different and each individual makeup is so different that it, it could be great for one person and then the next person, it could literally throw them into a form of psychosis. Yeah. No, I, I agree. By the way, for sure. I'm glad that you went down that path because I didn't want you to actually be like, yes, this is bad and this is good. It's more or less like, no, it's, it's, it's down for everything. But the more understanding you have of it, the better it is. Because for myself personally, I didn't actually even embark down towards any of this stuff until I was 28. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I proponently say to anyone else is for the love of goodness, don't ever use any of this stuff before the age of 25. Because before 25, your brain isn't even formed yet. You don't actually have the connective tissue in order to handle that load. It's essentially trying to have a runaway train. If you've ever seen Speed, it's the equivalent of that bus scene where they jump the bridge miraculously. There's a part missing because that part hasn't been built. Your brain is still being built. Like once it's there, once all the components and structures are there, by all means, you can look at this stuff a little bit more in depth. Now, I'm, that's more like with stuff like marijuana and stuff like that because that stuff isn't heavily regulated right now. Um, and you don't really know what's going on, which is always, always, always a strange thing in my books, but hey, ho, that's what it is. But if you take that into something else, I like would say ADHD, which is something we have a lot of discussion on because um, uh, I actually got my diagnosis this year as being ADHD, which is hilarious to me and everyone else because um, I recently found out that my parents actually carry both types for ADHD and ASD as well as dyslexia. And there's mm -hmm. a very high chance I actually have all three, um, mm -hmm. which explains a lot, but anyway. With that being said, for the longest time, I was very much anti-medication because mm -hmm. uh, I had tried the bipolar med medicine when I was a teenager and that stuff just was the worst. It was like literally the worst thing that could happen to me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And as you said, it's all about like testing and seeing what's right and wrong for you. So like when I found my ADHD meds, um, the very first thing my uh, clinician said to me was, hey, be very, very wary that you're going to go through mood spikes. Mm -hmm. And that actually was a thing. You're going to change uh, your productivity is going to change. It's going to do this, that, the other. So you got to see what goes on until you level out. So of course, mm -hmm. keeping the general health. Now, something you touched upon that was very, very powerful here was how this impacts entrepreneurs because we do, again, this is a show mostly based on those types of people. Um, mm -hmm. My curiosity is how, like once I got on the medicine, it actually did help. Like finding my, my route and stuff like that is helping some still settling into it. My curiosity to you is like, what if you have that fear of getting diagnosed? Um, but more importantly, what else could you do outside of that? If you're more of the quote unquote holistic person, it's like, hey, I don't want to rely on medicine. I want to do all these other things first instead. Um, mm -hmm. What would you suggest they start doing in order to not like push themselves to the point of burnout? Because if you are spending more money than usual, if you are staying up later or sleeping less or sleeping more, whatever it is, what can you do to really bring that in once you've gone through the whole, like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Great, now I know what I'm doing. How do they start bringing into balance? Again, I think it's always good to be able to share that um, insight with either, you know, a partner, your family, your mom or dad, you know, whoever it is that can also kind of not necessarily keep tabs on you, but to be able to check in on you, have insight on you and just know that you're not alone because a lot of times entrepreneurship already is as lonely. Yeah. There's a level of loneliness when you start. 
I look at entrepreneurship as startup growth and scale. So when you start, there's loneliness. When there's growth, there's loneliness. And when you get to scale, there's loneliness. And so, you know, start to have these conversations with other people. Then I always say is, again, no one should ever be diagnosed until medically everything has ruled out. And two, drug and alcohol have been ruled out. And then three, if all of that is the symptoms still remain after that, then you could be looking at a formal diagnosis. So for me is, is it's like, if you kind of have insight to this, the first thing I'd say is speak with your GP, your regular medical doctor, and see if you can just get some blood work done. A lot of times thyroid can mimic really low moods for individuals, right? Um, (coughs) Excuse me, if you're drinking a lot of alcohol, for example, alcohol is a depressant. So not saying stop alcohol, because if you are someone who's drinking alcohol, alcohol is the number one drug that can kill you cold turkey, not crack, not cocaine, not heroin, you'll have significant withdrawals from that. But alcohol, the physiological withdrawals is so substantial that you should never just go cold turkey. Again, that's why COVID, if you look at COVID, is why alcohol and bottle shops have still remained open, because countries wouldn't be able to handle the influx of withdrawals of alcoholics in there to be able to meet the demands of COVID patients, hence why bottle shops still remain open, right? Yeah, so what I would say is shit for that as well, which it makes complete sense that, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, cold tacky. Yeah, again, there. people 100% because they don't understand the impact. Like if you've been drinking alcohol for the last 10 years, six to 12 pack of beer a night and you go cold turkey, literally your heart everything else around you doesn't know how to cope because it's been so dependent on it. Right. So that's, you know, predominantly one of the reasons why you saw bottle shops and at places stay open is that demand on hospitals would have been far greater for those presenting with alcoholism than those with COVID. And they wouldn't be able to meet the demands of both kind of cohorts of people. So what I say is it's obviously, in my opinion, if you can speak to someone and let them know, Two, then speak with your GP so that they can roll out, rule out any physical. And if they, the GP does rule that out and you still have some of those symptoms left, I mean, there's a variety of other things that you can try. What I say, though, is <coughs> clearly if you're a significant threat to self or others, more than likely they're going to put you on medication because of the high need of your inability to function. Now, that's out of the scope, as in that's kind of like on the higher end, but it still happens, right? As in like people just have a hard time coping. And medication might be the first treatment of choice, depending on your individual situation. But if not, there's a variety of other things that you can do. If you do change health, uh, like food, what you're eating, if you start to get outside and exercise more, if you start to reduce, again, I'm not saying this for anyone in particular, I'm just using it as a scenario because I don't want anyone to think Angela Henderson told me to quit alcohol. No, that's all I'm saying. But if you like do harm minimization, where you start to reduce the amount of alcohol that you're drinking, um, there's kinesiology, there's natural paths, there is, there's so many other individuals, chiropractors even, have been able to show to be able to work with individuals from an alignment point of view right like there's so many different other modalities that if you don't want to turn a medication right away that option is available but again you're going to need to speak with your medical practitioners to come up with a treatment plan that works best for you your family and your and your overall needs yeah i would agree entirely like there is a crap load of stuff out there that shows that you can actually do so much more like um again for the longest time i went through again my undiagnosis phase so even when I went through my own process, I had to like make sure everything was limited. I kept di- like I keep journals upon journals upon journals. So when I actually went to my doctor, I was like, "Here's my journals. If you want to like look at them exactly, what's going on?" And thankfully, my doctor was just like, "I don't need to look at the journals. I know you well enough. I've known you for the last couple of years, and yeah, you can see where the shift is going and how your brain is going." And I 
glad that you're going through this diagnosis. I was like, sweet, that always helps out. But kind of like shifting gears away from that for just a moment and actually starting to look at the strategic side of how to build your business. Because again, one of the key points that you are one of the very few people I know on this that actually talk about this, building a business isn't about rushing in and building it at like zero to a hundred because people go, oh yeah, I built a hundred thousand dollar business inside 12 months, which can be done. It's very doable. But also look at the long-term effects of their impact of their family, of themselves, their health, and everything else that kind of comes in. If they were able to do it and do it in a way that didn't impact all those areas, power to them, because that, again, does happen, but it's a rarity. Mm. My question for you is when you're building a business um, or uh, advising someone to build a business, um, I did notice you have a strategic uh you have a strategic pathway where you get people to go through each milestone as they get through each step to see different like financial milestones, as well as actual building point uh, things they should be looking at. So my question to you in a very long winded way would be, what do you see are the biggest key block, not key blocks, the keystones to building a successful business over time? Yeah. I mean, the first thing that I say is, um, so often everyone wants everything done ASAP and everyone wants to be millionaires yesterday. I mean, again, if that was the scenario, we'd all be starting businesses to be able to be millionaires. I mean, within 24 hours, right? Like, but it's not that easy. So the analogy that I use when I see most businesses come to me as in the role of a business consultant is that they have a business made out of hay or a business made out of sticks, similar to that of the three little pigs. Yeah. Is they have something structurally there? Yes. You know, it's a house or a business made out of hay or a business made out of sticks. It's got windows, it has doors, but the foundation could crumble at any given time. And so for me is when I work with businesses and even like I work with one of Australia's leading plastic surgeons. And even when Tim came to me, uh, yes, he's a millionaire, but for where he was going, he wasn't going to be able to sustain that. So I'm very big about stripping, <coughs> excuse me, I've got this random cough, everything back and building a business of bricks. Now, bricks, just from the point, bricks are heavier, right? Bricks typically cost more. Uh, it, and so therefore, it's going to take longer to be able to build that business of bricks. But when you lay those foundational pillars down, even if COVID comes or continues the way it has been, and COVID, you know, is like a baseball and goes through that brick house's window, yes, there's glass everywhere. And yes, it's going to be upsetting. And yes, you're probably gonna to have to claim an insurance claim and all of that. But structurally, you're still going to be there for the next two months, the next five months, the next six months. So for me, it's about building a business of, you know, strong pillars, and I call them my profit pillars. It's, I've got a program called profit pillars, it's trademarked. And I'm very big about, you know, starting, you have to have a sound product, Yes. As I say, is I can't polish a turd. A yep. turd looks the same. It smells the same. It probably, again, I don't eat shit, but I'm assuming it would taste the same. I can't put feathers in it and sprinkles on it. It's still going to be a fucking turd. So if you don't have a great product from the beginning, it doesn't matter what type of bricks we try to build around it because it's never going to be able to cement to each other because it's a turd. So I talk about product validation. I talk about messaging. I'm a firm believer in your messaging. Uh, if you confuse, you lose. So you need to be able to have the ability to be crystal clear about what you do and how you're going to move those people from point A to point B. I, in the book, The Branding Story, I think he talks about um, the mental calories. If people have to burn more mental calories to understand what you do, you've already lost them. So make sure you've got a clear message around what's going on. Then it's also you need to be able 
Um, I'm pretty sure it's called, I'm just looking at my book, The Branding Story by either Ronald Miller or Donald Miller, I think oh, it Donald is. Oh, Donald Miller, yeah. Yeah, story so he brand. talks about- Building your story brand. Yeah, story brand. <laughs> and so he talks about the mental calories. You don't want people to be losing mental calories or using mental calories on your stuff. So when they hit your homepage, for example, you need to have clear information above the fold. You need to have a primary call to action. You know, just those are some of the examples. And so it's like, okay, great. Well, that if you've got a great product and it's not a turd and you've got clear messaging and now it's about, you know, selling. So often people don't ask for the damn sell. You need to be selling. It doesn't matter if there's other things going on behind the scenes, like building your Instagram or whatever. You still need to be able to sell to those people who are there. You need to also be building your audience. If you don't have an audience, you don't have people that are going to buy. So I'm not just talking about an email list. An email list is important, but your audience collectively I believe you have three ways to build audience, organic, partnership, or paid. Most people will start with organic, then they might weave in partnership, and then they'll be able to afford to pay. Once you start having all of those go all in a try cycling, I guess you could say, is what Scott Alford would say, is you now have the omnipresence. Yes. Everything is firing for you. Um, then you need to make, well, that's great if you've got audience, but then how are you funneling them? How are you nurturing them? How are you telling your story, your brand story, your product story, a variety of different stories to be able to go from a cold client to a warm client to a paying client? Um, and then lastly, I talk about the importance of building team. In my opinion, kind of when you get to that half billion dollars and above, really the only difference in order to get you to that next kind of threshold is team. You can no longer keep doing everything on your own. Um, and the last thing I talked about is mindset. Mindset should always be number one, but most people when they come to me early on, they're only worried about the next sale because that's a bootstrapping type mentality. It's kind of like a fixed mindset. But when you start to make the stuff, it's, you know, I see an energetic healer. I see a money blocker. I see a body talk specialist. I see, I do hypnotherapy every week. You know, there's a variety of things that I'm doing internally because your external world is a direct reflection of your internal world until you work on that internal stuff. Uh, yeah. Your business is going to be remain stagnant. So they have, that's, that's my whole kind of profit pillar in a nutshell. Uh, that sounds talk through. Awesome. Cool. I, I actually love that. Now, um, just for everyone else that's at home, like, that might be like, hey, but what if you do have outliers? Like my buddy Ben Settle is a fucking outlier. The guy basically works by himself. I think he also works mm -hmm. with his wife now. I mean, he's brought him, but she has her own business as well. Ben's mm -hmm. worked for himself for like nearly like 20-ish years. If not more, he's actually mm -hmm. longer than that, I, I assume. But right now, his newsletter literally does like one, it does over seven figures a year. Like I, it has mm -hmm. been for the last three years, but he's done it and built it slowly. But he has a bunch of other slew of different ideas and stuff that he has built over time. But even again, mm -hmm. very similar proponents. The other thing that I would add in is I'd say, don't wait till a half million mark to start building a team. Like mm -hmm. start building a team at like the six figure mark if you can and get a VA at like the high five. Because um, for myself personally, I kind of went through that struggle and I realized that as soon as I have someone in, it's delegation. And of course, the one good thing that is the hardest for me, that was the hardest thing for me for, to do was uh, actually give up certain controls. So like mm -hmm. doing it with a VA actually became very, very helpful uh, over time, which is great. But I and I also say actually that a lot of times, you know, in my own podcast, the Business and Life Conversations podcast, I talk about 50 different things you can outsource. Yeah. And one of the first things that I actually say to people is that you might want to outsource the things in your home first. Yes. And people always say that can be a little bit weird, but especially, I guess, if you're more so a woman in business and you're a mother also, the kind of those two additional variables is that 
it, you might be able to get six to seven hours of your time back by not having to clean uh, the toilet bowls, vacuum, dust, fold laundry, etc. And those seven hours can turn around in regards to you being able to have billable hours or being able to make more money. Yep. And so sometimes it's easier for, I say, more women to be able to rel relinquish that perfectionism and that control to the home duties before sometimes the perfectionism is willing to allow people to release uh, or relinquish the business control, right? So just be mindful that it might not be your first is a VA hire. It could actually be someone, a cook, a cleaner, a chef inside the house. Oh, I agree entirely. Like a friend of mine actually had a whole discussion with me recently about like, they're like, why do you have a cleaner? I'm like, because I don't like cleaning. Mm -hmm. and it's a pain in the ass and it's something I have to necessarily do and that even that if all that does is bring me back four hours a week mm -hmm. even if I don't work in those four hours even if mm -hmm. all I did in those four hours is just sit down play video games watch a movie go out for a walk go to the gym do some writing whatever it is it's four hours extra I can put towards my own happiness that I couldn't do beforehand mm -hmm. that are just free every single week um, and again, as, as something like, I can't remember which entrepreneur it was that said, it goes that once uh, the key to business isn't about getting as much money as possible, it's being able to invest the money you have to get as much time back as possible. Because mm -hmm. that's your true return on investment is how much time do you get back from what you do? Um, so kind of like going off of that point, one of the questions I did have for you, and again, a lot of people do focus on organic. And of course, organic is powerful, but it changes so frequently. My question to you is what... Uh, what kind of organic content should people start looking at putting out there? Because, and when I say what kind, I don't mean like, oh, look at what it is that you, well, looking at what you do is always there, but people go into these content blocks and then uh, channel blocks. So they go into, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what to put out, but I also don't know what channel to put it into. Like, do I put it on Facebook? Do I put it on YouTube? Do I put it on my blog? Do I go SEO? Do I go out to a town hall and actually talk people there? That kind of thing. So I know kind of a left field question to ask you, but very curious. Mm -hmm. Again, listen, my, I do a thing called my 3S framework uh, and how to skyrocket and increase profitability in your business. And there's the three S's, which is one, where are you showing up? Two is strategy and three is, is selling, really. But that first component is more relevant to what you're talking about is showing up. And so what I always say is, one, you need to be showing up on platforms that bring you joy. If you're just trying to be on Twitter and you're trying to be on Clubhouse and you're trying to do a podcast and you're trying to do all these things, but nothing lights you up, the level of consistency is going to drop significantly. So the first thing I say is start creating content on one platform and then layer or pepper the next platform in, but only choose platforms that light you up. Now, my second caveat to that, though, is, is make sure that those platforms that you choose is where your ideal client is sitting. Yes. Because if you like clubhouse and you really find it easy but none of your clients are there well then your return on investment is going to be minimal so what i say is choose platforms that light you up start with one platform and then season it or layer it and then three make sure that that particular ideal client is sitting there so that's what i do my next thing that i would say to this though is this is if you have a website and you're producing or creating um podcasts and it's going on your website and you're creating um any type of blog articles if you don't have search engine optimization, that's one of the primary, those pillars that I was talking about, then you're really, really compromising your overall business for both short and long-term growth. 51% of my traffic on any given month comes from search engine optimization, not Facebook ads, not Pinterest ads, not my podcast. It comes from people who are finding me on Google. Why <coughs> do I like that? One, 
is if someone is actually in that much pain and they need help with their business, that when they go and find me on Google, they're actually 30% closer of already converting, even though they're a cold client because they've gone out of their own will and have found me versus disruptive marketing when they're sitting binge watching on Netflix in their underwear and scrolling. Do you know what I mean? And they may or may not stop because of one of my ads or something. Yeah. So SEO also don't be building on other people's real estate. Yeah. So if you're over on clubhouse only, if you're over on Instagram overly, if you have a Facebook group, those are all great. Again, things to um, layer in your business. But if that all gets shut down tomorrow, which I see it happen every single week and you don't have your own website and your own SEO strategy, built, then you can completely lose your business. So for me, as I'm confident that 51% or 51 people out of every every hundred would still find me, even if all my other platforms got shut down. So that's what I would say is that it's, it's your SEO strategy is imperative to future and short-term growth. We're going to touch on that because I'm very, very curious because SEO is something that we did do and covered at great length. Guys, if you go back and listen to, uh, April 2019, I think it is April 2020, uh, I did an entire four-week strategy session with the guys over at SEM Rush. actually had them on the show, got them to share all their secrets on what they do in brand. Uh, so go check that stuff out as you can. Now, I will touch on that in just a second with you, but my, I, I just want to congratulate you. I just want to take this moment to be like, yay, because I was clapping and so happy, because that is something... Uh, I, as much as I love business coaches, I love as much as I love mentors, everyone does this one thing where they're like, you don't need a website. You don't need this to build a business. You don't need those things. Need, big difference. You don't need them to start. But for the love of goodness, get them in there as soon as you can. Like the quicker you can build that, that's just, that, that, that's just madness otherwise. It's kind of like, um, because again, there's so many people being deplatformed. Like you can you can put a funny meme up that you found hilarious and your audience finds hilarious because your audience interacts with that. One person doesn't like it, they actually go ahead and flag it. And next thing you know, you've actually lost your entire business, lost your reach, lost everything that's out there. You don't have your own mailing list. You don't have your own website. You don't have your SEO set up in the way that it works. This basically kills you. And I love the fact that you actually touched upon that because so few people do. Now, SEO is a big, wide-ranging, ever-changing beast at times, but there are some principles that are there. So my curiosity for you is, how did you begin with the, like, what are some of the beginnings and some of the resources that you share, if it's okay to ask, to get people actually understanding SEO, even to the slightest degree? Yeah, I mean, I think you touched upon, I mean, listen, it's a big, (coughs) excuse me, like a beast, like you said. For me, this is where I look at outsourcing very quickly. Understanding what your zone of genius is needs to be identified early on. And it's also needs to be identified early on that it is safe to give other people those particular jobs. SEO like is a full-time job in it with itself before you even look at anything else. However, what I will say to that is, is it's your responsibility as the business owner to still understand how SEO works. What are the components of SEO? Because when I first started, I did start to outsource, but because I was still working full-time as a mental health clinician, I had a small child at that stage was trying to going through IVF. I didn't take the time to understand SEO. And so when my new web developer came on, he was the one that said, Angie, you've just been rotted. These people have been taking $1,000 of your money every single month and they haven't done anything. So right then I made sure that it was my business to know everything. And that is one of the things I'm most proud of is I consider myself a business consultant versus a coach or mentor. And that I've paid thousands, like I've just signed my new coach at $45,000 for a six month coaching contract with him. 
Thanks. I spend anywhere from 45,000 to 100K a year on professional development because I need to understand all the moving pieces of business so that I'm able to identify that for my clients. So I understand SEO. I know I understand e-com ads. I understand service-based industry ads. I understand copy. Now, I'm not saying I'm an, an expert in all of those, but I know enough that when I need to brief someone on an SEO strategy, I can say, we're going to need SEO keywords for short tail and long tail keywords. I'm going to need this on the home page, about page and service page. For e-com, I'm going to need it for category pages, individual product pages also. I'm also going to need internal linking for the website, uh, like their website. I'm also then, once that's done, we're going to need to look at a backlinking strategy with offsite SEO. And we're going to need to make sure that those websites have high domain authority. So when we get those links, we're signaling to Google that, again, we're, we're anchoring those keywords as, um, as a flag to say, hey, if their website is ranking for this and other people are saying that it's um, also in good favor, we now combined, we'll start to rank them higher. So for me, as I can't emphasize enough about the importance of just understanding your own SEO, but being able to outsource to those. And that's, again, why I'm a very big, that, that's why I am where I am as a business consultant versus a mentor or coach because it's my responsibility and I think there's very few people and this isn't tooting my horn but it is is that they only understand business coaching for finance or they only understand messaging or they only understand funnels and but what happens is is they forget about the other 99% of stuff that needs to happen in order for that business to have short and long-term growth um, so again that's why I, I see a bird's view and then we then create the plan of what they need and then I connect them to the right people so that we can get them firing quicker and that's why they're able to start making four and five figure months and then on to six and seven figure years. I love that as a strategy so very much. And again, this kind of comes into, it's going to sound really strange, but this is a conversation I had with a friend of mine, uh, Daniel Throssell, a fellow Aussie last week, um, around this idea of people have stopped becoming Renaissance people. And like, the, in my opinion, there is, yes, we only have finite amount of hours in the day to do everything, yada, yada, yada. But at the same time, you can get good enough. And I always tell people, learn the foundational basics of anything that you're doing before you outsource it. Because mm -hmm. as long, it, you don't need a lot of time. And if you want to shortcut this, hire a consultant to literally explain the basics to you in the space of two mm -hmm. hours. Because if they mm -hmm. can't explain, like, I'll, I'll tell you this much, most experts can explain their craft in two to three hours to you. They can be like, okay, here's what you need to know. Here's the good, here's the bad, here's the key differences, here's the PDF, go to your thing. Now, when you go mm -hmm. hire someone, you now know your shit, you know what you're talking about. Um, and something else you touched on that was really, really powerful here is this idea of reinvesting in yourself. And I'm a huge proponent of this. Like I, I personally invest as much as I can every single year uh, in different coaches and different mentors and different programs. And the good upside that I have is I have this podcast. So I get access to all of you guys. Um, I also have a skill good enough that basically I end up working with most of my people that end up on my show. Um, and weirdly enough, as I'm working with them, you inadvertently exchange ideas and get essentially what's known as a brief rundown. So it actually really helps out. But what I'm getting at is the amount that you invest into your business and into yourself is always proportional to how much you get out. And if you really want to see this outside of a business venture, look at someone like LeBron James. LeBron James, the NBA star, that's been like nearly 20 years in the NBA right now. He's been like, I think he's at year 18 um, or 19. The guy's been around for ages. For the last nine years or so, he spent roughly about $1.5 million a year on just health. So that mm -hmm. means he's got masseuses, he's got trainers, he's got cryotherapy, he's got this, he's got that, he's a nutritionist. He basically has this all throughout the year. And people are like, 1.5 million on your health, why would you spend so much money on like maintaining who you are? Well, take it this way. Maintaining who he is right now, 1.5 million, 
look at his longevity. He wants to play well into his 40s. He wants to play so like his son right now, who's actually at college, he goes, I want to play on the same team as my son. I want to play with him in the NBA. Mm-hmm. The only way you get to that goal is if you play that longevity game. And what I love about what you said there is that this is a longevity game and people don't realize it. This is, mm-hmm. this is the big draw. You got to slowly build up. And the analogy that I thought of when you were going through it is, and you even touched upon it, is building a house. What you're doing is you're building every layer and cementing, building every layer, then cementing, because mm-hmm. this means, as you said, nothing can really rock you at that point. You actually have almost a foolproof business. And the best part out of it, is you can sell that at a higher rate. Think about it. Would you sell a, a straw shack or a wood shack to someone and think to get millions? Or would you sell a brick house to someone and have mm-hmm. that sell for millions? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, or even hundreds of thousands, it really works out in that same concept, context. Now as an idea of some one of my favorite questions I really want to ask you is, of course, this kind of goes back to mental health a little bit more. And that is the idea of life will invariably kick you in the nuts. It just mm-hmm. has a horrible habit of doing that. My question in my question to you is, how do you stay on top of everything uh, and recover when it does? Because invariably, we have good days and bad days. No, no, no days consistently happy. Uh, no years consistently happy. There's always ups and downs. And that's what makes life amazing. So my question for you is, how do you maintain a high enough level? So even when things are kind of like feeling like crumbling, you can kind of pull yourself back together quicker than someone that's say six months down the line. They're still in that same spot. Yeah, I mean, in the last three years, I had my grandmother die on Christmas, my brother die on Mother's Day, a father type figure die on New Year's Day, Uh, a best friend just died six months ago, and another business friend died about two years ago. So in the last span of three years, I've had, you know, five significant people die, and, and and I get asked often, you know, but you're still everywhere, you're still present, you're still whatever, and real, and they go, but how, or people will assume that I haven't grieved, I said, no, I grieve, I grieve all the time, I said, it can hit me if I'm driving in a car, it can hit me when I'm talking about it on a podcast, grief is everywhere, my thing though is, is I have a choice, from the moment I wake up until the moment I go to bed every night, the choice is mine on how I live my life, And ultimately, at the end of the day, I am responsible for how I live my life. In my opinion, too many people are using excuses. Too many people continue to blame others. Too many people continue to allow the external world again, you know, um, to overtake what's happening internally. You have a choice. And so for me, as I am where I am because of the fact that I just... it just is right. Like I'm a pretty black and white person. There's nothing magical. Yes. Of course I've worked on my mindset and yes, of course I've been in hypnotherapy and all those other things that I've, and I've been willing to look at my internal self, which I think is another thing that business owners, in my opinion, are going to have to do the sooner you can do it, the better. But for me, it was just about realizing early on, even as a kid, that everything I do is my responsibility. So to me, it's, it's pretty simple you know, your life, your rules, but don't bitch about it if you're doing nothing to change it. Yeah. Works perfectly well. Now, curiously on that one, how do you take more responsibility? Because there are people out there that are like, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. I mean, my thing is, it's like, again, if you're sitting there scrolling on Facebook, like uh, I went into one of my paid mastermind groups today and I did this a really quick video about them, about reminding them about the importance of doing your three revenue generating activities every single day before you jump into anything else. Right. 
And <clears throat> I was like, again, stop scrolling on Facebook. Stop, do you know what I mean? Pissing around, right? Like it's, again, it comes down to insight. Track your time, track where you're distributing, you know, every action that you take. And I can guarantee you what you focus on changes. So again, a lot of people don't want to track their time because it's going to be a reality check to them that they're actually fucking around. Um, again, I mean, look at your Apple phone, Apple stores, how long you're pretty much on any app on any given time. It tells you every week if your screen time is up, if your screen time is down. Don't ignore it, track it. Because if you track your time, you're going to be able to make better informed decisions about what you do to change those outcomes. Don't track it. Again, continue to put your head in the sand. So for me, it's, I mean, that's the place to start is to start tracking your time uh, and then start making choices based on what you see in those results. I agree. I agree. And again, something I will have a conversation with you off there because there was a big difference and shift there for me as well, personally. So one of my last questions I love asking on the show before we wrap is always, it always comes down to uh, the types of books people read and types of movies Mm -hmm. people watch. So I'm curious, are you more of a book person or a movie person or both? Um, I'd probably say, I mean, listen, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I would say that I would, yeah, read. Okay, cool. So what would you say? So if you were to give 10 books, as recommendations and these are 10 books that you'd give to literally anyone and everyone all walks away feeling you know what you just need to read these books because you want to be better in whatever it is that you want to do what are your 10 go-to this my 10 go-to i'm horrible at remembering what i can say is my favorite all-time book i can do that one to start with and then i can probably put my glasses on and look on my shelf and then give you some yeah because i've got a shit ton of them over here my first and favorite book of all times is the go-giver by bob berg and john david mann and the reason why i like them is that it's pretty much about uh it infuses in you a different way of looking at how you should be showing up in your business and you know they talk about these five laws of stratospheric success and they talk about the law of value your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment they talk about the law of compensation and they say your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them they then go on to talk about the law of influence and they say that your your influence is is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first And then they have the fourth one is the law of authenticity. The most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. And the last law is the law of receptivity. The key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. People are always looking, (coughs) not all people, but a large portion of people, especially when you're in startup stage, you're looking for the next sale. You're looking for the next transaction. And people stop remembering that behind every sale and every transaction is a human being. So that's why I love the book, The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and John David Mann, is they really talk about you need to lead with value first. You need to lead with give, like, you know, give, give, give. And inevitably, if you follow those five laws, you will be profitable. It might, again, it might take longer because, again, you're building solid relationships versus quick fixes but inevitably you will become profitable. Now, as I look over on my bookshelf, the second book that I would say that has really influenced me is The Purple Cow by Seth Godin. Great book. I really like that book. The third book that I would say over there is I really liked Atomic Habits by James Clear and the 1% rule there. I also really love the book um, Chillpreneur by a good friend of mine, Denise Stuffield Thomas, really explaining that, again, entrepreneurs can just chill, right? You don't always have to be go, go, going, that you can actually have a wealthy business and make a shit ton of money with ease and with elegance. I also love the book Traction, um, especially if you're in a growth stage and you're looking at building teams. I think it's an, an incredible book. 
Um, I'm just trying to have a quick look at what else do I have over there. Uh, I did like Mark uh, Mason's um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I really thought for those people that get strung, uh, strung up on, you know, not putting themselves out there or really not honing in on their story and, you know, sharing that story. I think that was a really great book. Um, my goodness me, what else? Uh, I also love the book Untamed by, uh, I think it was Glendon Doyle. Yeah, I mean, those are just some of the many books. The E-Myth, I also love the E-Myth. Again, if you're in a growth stage and you're looking at bringing on team, really understanding those three main components. So yeah, so those are a few of the books that I have loved, you know, reading throughout the years. That's pretty cool. I like them. I actually love quite a lot of the same ones, so it's always good to hear. And there's a few that I've just been reminded I need to go read, like Chill Burnett, which is on bookshelf right over there. Like that exact book I'm talking to is Chill Burnett. Um, yep. And it's one of those things like, I need to read that. I wish there was an audiobook version in the UK that I can get because I prefer audiobooks than like reading them because it takes me way too long to read. But anyway. <laughs> just brilliant but anyway real quick before we wrap up i want to say is there anything final you want to actually give everyone a last piece of advice before they actually continue forward and i give them exactly where to go i I think again i would just remind as you talked upon the investing part is in my opinion uh pay to play you can you know continue to try and google and youtube everything but when you start to pay even twenty dollars to go to a networking event and then $50 $50 to a networking event and then you go to a mastermind or you sign up for a coach or whatever yeah. is when you pay, you pay attention. You genuinely, you pay attention to the emails you get, you then take action. And because of that, I believe the trans uh, transformation occurs when the transaction takes place. Mm-hmm. So again, even if it's a small transaction, the transformation and the ability for you to pay attention is going to far outseed you Googling and YouTubing everything. So I would encourage you to pay to play. And for those of you who may need help with, you know, businesses or growth, uh, startup growth or scale, again, you can reach me at AngelaHenderson.com.au and I'm always happy to support you any way I can. Definitely. And I was just about to do that exact same promo where you can reach out to her. But more importantly, go check out AngelaHenson.com.au. There is a list of services, courses, trainings, and so on and so forth to work with Angela all the way through. Plus her free uh, stuff is actually brilliant. Angela, could you remind me what your podcast is called, please? Yeah, I've got the Business and Live Conversations podcast. And at time of recording, we are one episode away from, uh, yeah, we've been recording one podcast episode every week for the last three weeks that will drop next week. So uh, podcasting is a huge part of my long-term strategy and the ability to have conversations which equal connections, which equal conversions. So again, always be looking for where you can start those conversations. Most definitely. All right, guys, go check that out. And as always, uh, please have an amazing weekend. Rate, review, and subscribe on the show per usual. And I'll see you guys next week on another episode of Adam Marcy Unplugged. Take care, guys. Bye.